Nights Outdoor Explorer. I'm your host, Lisa Keller. Last fall, when I was interviewing Lee Hart, founder and executive director of the Alaska Outdoor Alliance, we briefly touched on the concept of regenerative tourism. I had only heard the term in passing before that during one of the Alliance's Lunch and Learn series, and I wanted to know more. Regenerative tourism is deeply rooted in indigenous values and knowledge systems. Around the world, indigenous communities have been negatively impacted by tourism. Their lands have been compromised and their culture has been expected to conform to colonial influence. But there is a big change happening now with the influencers in Alaska tourism promoting a vision of a more authentic and reflective tourism experience in our state. My guests today are Mary Goddard, Regional Catalyst for Regenerative Tourism with the Sustainable Southeast Partnership, Lee Hart, Executive Director of the Alaska Outdoor Alliance, and Sarah Leonard, President and CEO of the Alaska Travel Industry Association. Together, they'll lay out the present and future of regenerative tourism in Alaska, led by Alaska Native communities, joined in common interest with travel and outdoor recreation groups. Keep listening for more on Outdoor Explorer. My guests today for a conversation on regenerative tourism are Lee Hart, founder of Alaska Outdoor Alliance, Mary Goddard, regional catalyst for regenerative tourism with the Sustainable Southeast Partnership in Sitka, and Sarah Leonard, president and CEO of Alaska Travel Industry Association. Welcome to Outdoor Explorer, all of you. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks, for Thank the, you. Thanks for giving us some time with you. So I've had this topic in my brain for a while, and uh, Lee, you and I touched on it um, last fall when you were last on the show, um, and you really wanted to kind of flesh out what we had talked about. We just touched on it, and so that's um, how this show is happening, and I'm really excited to have Sarah and Mary with us too, because you're both very dynamic and exciting people, obviously, and know a lot about this and are part of this in Alaska. So, um, but to, to get started, I really would like each of you to tell a little bit more about yourself in Alaska and also about your organization. Um, some people might be familiar with your organizations, but we just want to hear it all again. So Lee, since you're right next to me on my screen, I'm going to go to you first. So Lee Hart. All right. Well, thanks Lisa. Um, yeah, I am the executive director of the Alaska Outdoor Alliance, and we are dedicated to strengthening Alaska's outdoor recreation economic sector. It's a $3.2 billion sector um, and uh, hoping to make it the best outdoor recreation economy in the world. I'm currently operating out of um, the lovely, I'm a new resident um, of the lovely community of Haines, Alaska, and I've just fallen head over heels in love with it. And, um, and so I'm conducting operations from there. It's a hop, skip and a jump from Juneau, which is where, you know, we spend time because a lot of our work involves advocating for policies and um, funding uh, to strengthen, um, you know, uh, the sector through 
investment in infrastructure and our infrastructure is like trails and huts and boat launches and um, everything that helps you um, access the outdoors. Great, thanks. Sarah, Sarah Leonard. Thank you uh, for having me as part of this conversation. So I'm Sarah Leonard. I'm the CEO of the Alaska Travel Industry Association, and we're the statewide membership association for travel and tourism in Alaska. We represent a little over 600 tourism businesses and community partners. And we've been the longtime manager of the state's destination marketing program. So uh, our role, uh, part of our role has been to work with our community partners and communities across the state and businesses to attract visitors to what we think is a world-class premier destination. We often say Alaska not only competes with lower 48 states for visitors, but also we can compete at a global scale with other country level destinations. And the other part of our work, um, as much like Lee described, is that we are an advocacy group, an advocacy voice for the travel and tourism sector. So we're often um, at the table on discussions related to, um, at the state or federal level, related to policies or legislation that may impact travel and tourism businesses. Great. And Sarah, how, how big of a piece of our economy is tourism? We compete up there with um, our friends in the commercial fishing industry, the seafood industry. Um, We, in healthy years, obviously the travel and tourism sector, much like the outdoor recreation sector, has been impacted by pandemic-related guidelines. But in a healthy year, we contribute over $4 billion in overall economic activity for Alaska, and that uh, supports um, the general fund at the state, as well as many community budgets in taxes and fees that visitors uh, pay when they come to visit Alaska. Um, and we are also a, a big employer for, for both seasonal but year-round jobs and, a, and kind of, a I think, a foot in the door of the workforce for many Alaska folks that get their start in the tourism industry. Um, so we also have attracted at high season over 50,000 people or one in 10 jobs that we would say are attributed back to the tourism industry in Alaska. Great, thanks. Mary Goddard, uh, you kind of bring these two things together, the outdoor industry and tourism. So I'm really interested on hearing about your role in this. Yeah, thank you, Lisa, for having me. You know, my name is Mary Goddard, and I am the regional catalyst for regenerative tourism. And that is a long title to basically say I work at the Sustainable Southeast Partnership to encourage tourism in a way that's beneficial for our communities. And so, um, specifically, the Sustainable Southeast Partnership works hard at um, bringing together the Southeast communities to. Um, achieve goals for community well-being, um, economic prosperity, and environmental health. And so, you know, within the network, there's several catalysts, which just means um, people that will represent communities or certain um, um, industry. And so, you know, mine is tourism. And uh, it's been great to work with Lee and Sarah 
in uh, outdoor rec and cultural tourism and encouraging, you know, making sure that we're keeping culture alive in the tourism industry as well. Um, so, yeah. Great. Thanks. Thank you. So let's um, start with a good definition of regenerative tourism. And maybe all of you have like different um, definitions of it. Um, Mary, I think you're probably the appropriate one to start with for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I feel like regenerative tourism is just a, a fancy um, a fancy way of saying we are trying to create tourism or have the industry of tourism um, be an industry that is a cause for good rather than harm. You know, um, a lot of times we want to um, section off our industries to being just about one thing. But really, when we look at the tourism industry, we want to see it as a way that affects everything. You know, how does it affect our environment? How does it affect our culture? How does it affect our communities? And really, we want to use tourism as a vehicle for good. Um, so that's, you know, my definition or how I explain it to people. And, you know, there's definitely um, a very specific definition at the SSP or the Sustainable Southeast Partnership that I always like to share because um, it is something that the whole group kind of came up with. And so I'm just going to read that off. Great. It says regenerative tourism is a holistic approach to tourism that proactively works to improve ecosystems elevate local economies and provoke, promote meaningful and responsible visitor experiences, authentic local representation, deep community involvement and practical and innovative steps for conserving and enhancing their environment are essential to this approach. Regenerative tourism reveals how the industry can protect, enable and grow strategies that benefit communities, cultures and ecosystems of Southeast Alaska. Great. Lee and Sarah, do you have anything to add to that? I think that really captures it. I, uh, Mary has been in our discussions over the last, I would say, couple of years, our, sort of our leader, our touchstone on regenerative tourism. Um, so I think that um, definition really captures the effort, I think, in each of our respective uh, jobs and, and probably lifestyles that we've tried, we're striving toward. Yeah, and I'll second Sarah in saying that we're, we're here to support. I think if you look at our country and even around the world, I, I think that you, can, you would find that Mary's work and, and Southeast Sustainable Partnership are really on the, the kind of leading edge of a movement that's looking in the directions she described in the definition SSP is set. So, you know, I think it's really exciting. I think it's um, good for um, people, people, culture, environment, and the future for Alaska. And so um, Alaska Outdoor Alliance just wants to support that in the ways that we were able to. So, so what is the history of regenerative tourism? I mean, I don't think it was even on my radar for the last, just until the last year or two, I think I heard it in some, maybe actually at one of your lunch meetings, Lee, that I was listening on, somebody was talking about it and I'd never really thought about it before. And um, then all of a sudden I see it everywhere. So when did this start? How did it get it start? 
Who wants to take that? Sorry, I can, I can jump in. You know, it, it's really funny because I feel like regenerative is that fancy term, right? Like we think of what we do as being based on values. And when you um, have anything you're doing based on values, you really are looking at everything holistically and everything as a whole. And so, you know, I think the term regenerative um, is is something that's more trendy and it's, you know, new, whereas um, the concept is really rooted in, you know, indigenous values or, um, you know, you, you see it across the country. I think the term, oh, I want to say it was from New Zealand. There's a lot of articles you can read about from like New Zealand where, you know, regenerative tourism is like um, something they've really worked hard at. Um, so I, I really think it's, you know, been around. I think it's, um, I think now that, you know, we're looking at our different industries, we're really looking at how can everything work together. And so um, the word regenerative really encapsulates that. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think, I think it's, you know, Lisa, I think it's gained even more traction um, as people um, in, in popular tourism destinations looked at what happened during the pandemic and how, what kinds of usage patterns, at least from my perspective in outdoors, how usage patterns changed and what, what was going on in there, you know, and, and we have some places that are, um, you know, maybe not here in Alaska as much, but elsewhere that are being kind of loved to death. And so it's causing this re-examination, I think, of like, what does it mean, you know, um, to, what, what, what can we look for as we pivot from this global pandemic and, and consider the directions we want ahead? So like, for instance, over the pandemic times, when people were going to Yosemite and Yellowstone and kind of, actually Yosemite has been overrun for a long time, hasn't it? I mean, that's a place that's being loved to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that uh, one of the things that really caught my eye when I was researching for this, and Lee, you and I talked about it a little bit, is what's happening in Hawaii because they're such a smaller area and how they're really being loved to death and um, the kind of paths they're taking to make that better. Yeah, they're also, uh, Hawaii is also um, engaged in uh, this same concept and in, in, in themes and in, in looking at how they can um, incorporate regenerative tourism principles into mm-hmm. their efforts. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I, I would jump in, um, Lisa, and, and echo some of Mary's sentiments that I think that the concept um, or parts of the concept of regenerative tur- tourism have been around for a while. I remember in I won't tell you how many years ago, but in my grad school days and and undergrad days, you know, we talked about benefits based management of tourism destinations and how you could manage a destination for not only activities um, of the visitors, whether they were, you know, outdoor uh, recreationists or or visitors, but you could also manage for the benefits of what um, that activity brought both in whether it was economic or social or cultural. Um, and I think that um, even before the pandemic, 
um, ATIA was having discussions with some of our community partners about how to best manage tourism in, in communities that were projected to see increase in travelers or that weren't getting as many travelers as they wanted to welcome. Um, and having, I think what Mary touched on is having that opportunity with community partners, with residents, with um, tribal and native partners um, to have that conversation of what's the best way to bring those benefits back to the community. Um, and I think having those overlapping discussions as, as colleagues and partners now has been a real opportunity for the Alaska travel industry overall, um, that we can come out of the pandemic stronger, but stronger together because we're having those conversations together. Mm -hmm. If you are just joining us, you are listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Lisa Keller. My guests today are Mary Goddard, Regional Catalyst for Regenerative Tourism with the Sustainable Southeast Partnership, Lee Hart of the Alaska Outdoor Alliance, and Sarah Leonard of the Alaska Travel Industry Association. Sarah, does does the um, Alaska travel industry, do they do they have like a, a separate committee that deals with regenerative tourism? For lack of the the a better word, I'm using regenerative tourism. You know, even though we've decided that it's kind of just a fancy word, right? To really recognize what, especially Native people, have been concerned about their whole lives. So, we um, we actually established a committee um, around our marketing efforts called a cultural enrichment committee. Um, Mary participates on it, and it's led by one of ATI's board directors, uh, Camille Ferguson. Um, also from Sitka, or who lives in Sitka. And um, in that way, we specifically had conversations um, with um, our cultural tourism stakeholders to better represent or have appropriate cultural and native imagery, messaging, stories in our statewide marketing efforts mm -hmm. so that we're not just putting out information that we're really working with our partners to do it in an appropriate way. Um, so that's one way ATIA has um, had those type of discussions. Um, but throughout ATIA's committees or sort of framework, we've been having these type of destination management conversations, at, whether it's at our annual industry event or, you know, we often have like summits or workshops. And this has definitely been a theme, especially in the last couple of years of, you know, how do we manage visitors um, from a bottom up approach, really not a top down ATIA approach, but from a bottom up approach that brings the best benefits back to the community. Mm -hmm. Um, Mary, are there, I, I think there are, when I was looking, <laughs> looking at, uh, some of the stuff that you're involved in, um, there are tours in Alaska that are specifically geared towards cultural learning and, and also the outdoors hiking and kayaking and things like that, that are more active. Can you tell a little bit more about those? 
Sure. Um, yeah, I guess one thing we're always trying to find more examples, right? And like show what people are currently doing in Alaska. Um, that is a really good example of regenerative tourism. And so, you know, there's different tours or different things that really highlight maybe one um, one strength or one part or one aspect of regenerative tourism. Um, like if you go to um, Huna, there's a, a canoe tour that you can take that supports a tribe and they have their tribal citizens, you know, take you on a canoe, um, a traditional Tlingit canoe and, and tell you the stories. Um, so that's an example of like a regenerative tourism business that really is really strong on the tourism part. Um, another example would be uh, Finale Fishing, which is a pesca tourism business here in Sitka. And as far as I know, they're the first pesca tourism business in Alaska and um, or at least southeast. And uh, so explain what a pesca tour is. Yeah, so pesca tourism, I believe it's a French word. Um, you know, this was a, a tourism concept that really developed in France because of the fishing industry was um, facing a big decline. And so what they did was um, they decided like, okay, we need to be able to use our assets, what we already have and create another industry. And so a group of them um, began to take people out on a fishing excursion, but really teaching them the way and kind of showing it to them. Like if you were to fish here, this is how you would fish. We're going to give you um we're going to pay you like you're a fisherman for, you know, four days or whatever the tour is. Um, and really was more about education than about um, consuming or um, taking as much fish as you can, right? Like if you go on a typical uh, maybe charter um, fishing where the, the end goal could be just taking as much fish as you can, this really bases it around um, education and learning that industry. And so they had a lot of success um, doing that. And um, uh, Brendan Jones and Rachel Jones, who own, own fish, Fin Alley Fishing, are kind of modeling their business after that whole um, concept. I so. like that. That that sounds really, really cool. Yeah. And, you know, it's really nice, like just knowing Brendan and Rachel, you know, they're really passionate about um, the environment and their community here. And so um, it's something that you can see is passed on to um, the visitors that participate in their tour. You know, they, they bring people up that are really want to know is, is climate change happening in Alaska? Um, what can I see? You know, they're worried about Alaska. So what you're doing with the, that particular tourism business is you're um, finding people that are investing in um, a place that you love um, because you're showing them a side that, you love and they in turn become these visitors that, um, you know, um, and want to invest back. Does, does climate change have a big role in some of these companies? I mean, because obviously things are changing so fast in Alaska. It's a, it's in a lot of conversations, you know, maybe not every single tourism business, but it is something that, um, when we're looking at regenerative tourism, it's something that we all have to think about is like, how are we directly affecting the environment? Are we contributing to, um, you know, something positive when it comes to, um, you know, climate change, are we, are we making things worse? So it does come up in conversations quite a bit. And, and I've, you know, found working with like Lee and Sarah, we, um, 
there's a lot of people that are um, really concerned about climate change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I also, um, Mary, it, it seems like the tourism in different parts of the state would be so different because, you know, Southeast and any of the coastal areas obviously have marine type stuff going on. But then when you get to the interior, you know, you're going to have a different type of tourism. How, how does that change? Yeah, really good question. I think the biggest message that we're trying to put out there is that like what Sarah was saying, you know, starting from the base or the foundation first, which is your community, like what does the community want? What kind of, um, boundaries will the community put on or what will they think you know keep us sacred what will they offer up to guests you know how do they want to share their community so really having those messages and um you know i think with all these communities the things that they have in common is um you know really wanting to protect their communities like lee was talking about the pandemic um really shining a light on regenerative tourism it's because that aspect of health you know um before probably prior health wasn't this big issue when it came to tourism, but with the pandemic, if you're bringing visitors in, you still want to protect your communities and you want to protect your visitors. So that became an also, you know, an issue that was brought to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Uh, and quickly, Sarah, like, I mean, I think people are familiar with this, but how much has the tourism industry changed just in the last two years because of the pandemic? I mean, when tourists come here, do they understand that, you know, much like Hawaii, there's a population that is just more vulnerable to COVID and, and we don't want people bringing that in, obviously, and we want people to be careful. Yeah. I mean, tourism changed almost immediately at the beginning of the pandemic because of the way people travel to Alaska. So just on that um, level, all of the pathways um, to Alaska that you could get here were impacted, whether it was by cruise ship, which weren't able to operate for almost two years, um, or air flights early on were impacted. Um, Even if we all remember just two years ago, there were limited um, flights on on airlines. And then also the land border was closed. from the lower 48 to be able to, to um, welcome highway traffic. Mm-hmm. Um, so that um, our industry changed almost immediately at the onset of the pandemic. Um, and then as far as, uh, you know, we also like other destinations have um, populations or communities that are more, um, you know, we learned were more impacted by COVID. Um, one thing that we had the, I think, sort of turned into an opportunity is that early on we were doing testing at airports. So, you know, our state was offering the testing at our state airports, which helped our health community. Also early on, the tourism industry partnered with the State Department of Health and Social Services and many of our community partners. Like right away, that was sort of a non-traditional partnership that established because we knew we had to get the right information into the hands of travelers that were still coming to Alaska, as well as Alaska residents that were traveling around by necessity, you know, whether in and out of uh, bigger cities or out of their communities or villages. So we we uh, took the role at ATIA of um, helping provide the right information to travelers at the time of the pandemic when they were traveling. 
Um, and also providing what community guidelines were um, current. So we asked our travelers to respect different community guidelines that weren't um, potentially consistent statewide um, so that we were protecting our, you know, really supporting the health of our communities and our residents as well as our travelers um, really since the beginning of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. One of the terms, maybe this is like what you guys have all been hinting at that we need to maybe call it something different than regenerative tourism that I picked up was um, boots on the ground tourism. And I kind of like that term. Actually, I think Mary, that came from uh, one of the organizations that you work with and um, they do a lot of like this active exploration and, and the enrichment that you were talking about, the cultural enrichment. But Lee, this is a little bit of what the Alaska Long Trail is all about. And I know I talk about the Alaska Long Trail a lot, but I just love the whole concept and the idea. Um, so I'm, I'm sure everybody is familiar with the Alaska Long Trail, but we're going to talk about it again. So is this kind of like what we're thinking about when we're talking about regenerative tourism? Like people may be coming here, they're going to travel this long trail, go through lots of different communities and opportunities for those communities to, to give, uh, for, for those people to give back to the communities and for the communities to really showcase who they are. Yeah, I think, um, Lisa, it's a bit early in the um, execution of what the long trail would be. Um, certainly, we hope to have those conversations with the communities and get more feedback from them about how um, they want to interact with um, people who are traversing that. You know, you get your examples from all the other long trails in the United States, like the Appalachian Trail, Pacific Crest Trail, and so on and so forth, and how the communities um, respond to that. I was just actually in to Hatchapi, Nevada, where which is on the uh, one end of the Pacific Crest Trail, and they actually have a, a, a campground set aside kind of near their airport, their municipal airport, that's reserved for through hikers. Um, so they're really being consciously welcoming of that, um, which um, I think as you begin to add up the dollars and cents of this and, and of what this can mean to communities, certainly many of them are welcoming that, but it's up to the, you know, it's really up to the individual communities to decide. And I think that, um, I'm, I'm not sure if this ties this together completely neatly, but at the same time, you know, heading into the pandemic and when you think about assets like the long trail, you think about like the pescatourism Mary's talking about, there is, there was at the same time, um, you can see um, national and international tourism studies identifying a rising tide within the visitor sector of people interested in these more immersive, culturally relevant experiences and really seeking those out. So I think Alaska really is almost at a, I wouldn't call it entirely a blank slate, but we have a lot of room to um, ideate and innovate in this area. And we're um, the three of us on this call, as well as Emily Edenshaw at the you know, Alaska Native Heritage Center are all committed to um, advancing these ideas. You are listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Lisa Keller. We're going to take a short break. And when we return, we'll hear more from Mary Goddard, Lee Hart, and Sarah Leonard. You're listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. Find the show anytime as a free podcast in the iTunes store or connect with us online at alaskapublic.org. 
are listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Lisa Keller. My conversation with Mary Goddard, the Regional Catalyst for Regenerative Tourism with the Sustainable Southeast Partnership, Lee Hart of the Alaska Outdoor Alliance, and Sarah Leonard of the Alaska Travel Industry Association continues. I think what was noticeable about that I was thinking about with Alaska is that for a lot of people were so new and in Hawaii, one of the things that I saw used as an example is that they've gone away from using um, grass hula skirts uh, in performances or performances. I don't know if that's the right word, but um, because the grass hula skirts actually came from missionaries trying to cover women up. And so they're not using them anymore um, when they're showcasing their culture. But I don't think Alaska has so much of that problem because we didn't, and I could be wrong. So this might be a good question for Mary um, because we didn't have so much of that. I mean, there was missionary influence obviously, but it just doesn't seem there was so much that changed our culture. They're talking also about like lays are made from orchids from Southeast Asia. So they're trying to go to flowers that are only from Hawaii. So things like that. Am I hitting it right, Mary, or totally off base? (laughs) No, good question. I think, you know, you know, a little bit of both, like with, um, with culture, I think we're always trying to find the most authentic, you know, um, you know, community that we're in, like, what's the most, how could we be our most authentic self? And a lot of it is really discovering, you know, um, for some of these communities, really who they are, what are their stories, what can be shared, what's sacred, you know, knowing those boundaries. And, um, you know, we definitely have a history. um, And there is a, there is a lot of trauma um, from, well, from our history, from, you know, the, the, the schools and the missionaries and um, a lot of our identity being stripped away. And so there is a lot of communities that I'm working within that really are, are really, uh, you know, finding themselves again, or really being authentic to their culture and being comfortable with that, you know? Um, So we do still have, you know, I, I guess I could think of an example Looking back at some of the museum collections, you know, I've studied some spruce root basketry because my mom is a basket weaver and it's a medium that um, I liked working with. And so looking back at some of the museum collections, the older authentic spruce root baskets are these impressive giant spruce root baskets with little tiny, you know, um, roots. And, um, but then as you go through um, the time when Um, they began making spruce roots for tourism or for tourists, you know, it it changed it, you know, the, the designs changed. They weren't, um, they weren't putting some of their, their original designs and they were trying to put, you know, like um, spell out Alaska, or they were trying to do different things that were really geared towards the visitors. So I definitely think we have a a little bit of that. And um, when it comes to tourism in Southeast, with the native communities, there is there is a lot of people that have their guards up because of our history. And so there's definitely work to be done there. Do you think um, a lot of this is, for instance, I, I have a my daughter who lives with me. Um, she's 21. So she's a Gen Zer and um, they just seem she's white and it they 
they just seem to be more aware of this. And I, I feel like it's, and they, and they pay attention to native kids and what native kids are saying on Twitter and, um, about the way that they should be interacting and what, how they should be respectful. Do you think this is a big generation shift? I mean, obviously these are kids who didn't go to residential, um, schooling and stuff like that. So that's a big change. Uh-huh. Do, um, you th- do you think there's a big push from that younger generation or maybe even just from like people 40 and younger? You know, you know, really good question. I think with that younger generation, um, I think, and, and this is just my own personal, I'm not speaking for anybody else other than myself as particularly thinking of a, like as a mom, you know, I'm a mother. So I think, mm-hmm. okay, you know, I want my, my child when he grows up to know his identity and know who he is. And, you know, when you look and study cultures across the world, a lot of times that really comes into the teenage years, right? Like the young adulthood is really trying to identify with your culture. Or who are you? Um, and so I think when, um, you know, maybe the younger generations looking at, you know, what you were saying, like your daughter is looking at other native kids. It's like trying, probably trying to identify like, who am I, who am I in the context of where I am? Um, so I think that just has to do with identity. Mm-hmm. I also, I mean, if I can jump in, not from obviously a, a, a native Alaska perspective, but I think just from a marketing perspective, uh, maybe, you know, social media is in some ways is sort of an equalizer, like, especially with, you know, I have a teenage son um, that grew up and in high school and everyone, all of his friends are on social media and anyone can, you know, do a video and showcase their community or, you know, their trip or, you know, their friend group. And I think that, you know, I know my son sees that and I think it, it just becomes, you know, in a, in a good and bad way. So, I mean, social media isn't all good. I, I recognize that, but um, they do see things on social media that um, maybe we didn't, certainly I didn't growing up or didn't learn about. And, and it, it sort of is an equal, I think this is my personal perspective. I think it's sort of an equalizer for a lot of kids because anyone can do it and they all know how to do it way better than I do. Um, and they're seeing, you know, different cultures and different kids and different looks and feels. And um, in some ways, I think that that um, has affected that generation. Mm-hmm. I think to me, I look back on it. And it seems like it's a good thing. It seems like, you know, um, I'm just really thrilled. All the young native people who have stepped up in Alaska and are like, no, this is our land. You know, we're going to fight against climate change. We're going to make sure we're represented correctly. And um, and then seeing white children and black children and other children in Alaska who are like, yeah, we're on board with you. We'll support you. I mean, that to me is like what is really wonderful about our little community in Alaska, at least. And it's not perfect, but it's so much better than when I was a kid here, I think. <laughs> I think another component, Lisa, is that um, the younger generation, they've been marketed to like crazy their entire lives. And since they were, since they, their first memories, right. And they're savvy enough. And they're like, they're kind of being really selective um, about um, brands and experiences that they, they opt to engage in. And they want those authentic experiences. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be, you know, just marketed to and be another, you know, 
the cog in the in the consumerism thing. Um, so they're really selective. They are choosing more authentic and immersive experiences. Um, at least the data I see um, from outdoor recreation, and and they're choosing brands and like even travel, you know, outfitters and things like that based on you know, they're making those decisions about authenticity and stuff. So that fits perfectly into this regenerative tourism concept. Yeah. Speaking of that, like, what is the breakdown? Like if, if you're looking at like the typical, like cruise ship passengers, probably older and, but the typical regenerative tourism demographic is probably younger. Generally speaking, is that the case? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. Sarah might have better intel, but I, think I guess it's where you divide ways. old and young too. <laughs> That's a tough one, Lisa. Yeah. Who are you calling old? Yeah, yeah. I, know. I might be the oldest <laughs> one on this call. So. Well, but I mean, so frequently, I mean, I think some of the data suggests that you know um, there is a willingness to pay more for these immersive and more culturally relevant experiences. And sometimes that means people who are, you know, in a mature stage of their earnings levels, yep. <laughs> um, as well as, you know, at the younger end. So I think it's kind of, I don't, I don't think you can make generalizations like that, I guess. I there, mean, there is maybe- this whole brand of, of um, young people, though, like Lael Wilcox, who, um, you know, endurance cyclist has been all over the world doing race, races, huge endurance races who works for this short period of time, saves all her money, lives cheap so that she can go do some big experience like that. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're kind of, I mean, when we were all young, there were those people too. So I might've been that person at one time too, for <laughs> a little bit of time. <laughs> so I think there there's that too, but it's the willingness to like live a different kind of lifestyle in order to do those experiences. Well, I was just going to say, and hopefully we can come, you know, at it from both angles, you know, like when we talk about regenerative tourism, we're, we're working with the industry to set up their tours and their tourism business to be regenerative, to, you know, um, be authentic, to give back, to be part of the community. Um, and so I would like to think that just because it's a regenerative tourism business, um, that it's not something that's super expensive or, you know, is out of somebody's reach. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, I think we come at it from both of those angles from the tourism business and then also the visitors of teaching and educating the visitors of this is, this is the parameters we want you to set around, whether you're someone who's coming in on a cruise ship or whether you're, you know, a a young adult traveling and, and hiking in Alaska. Um, so how, how do we reach those people who are coming in on a cruise ship that aren't necessarily coming for they, they're happy to go to the, you know, the, just go to the, um, gift shops or not really go to anything very immersive. How do we get them? That's a really, is, good, is there yeah. something already? <laughs> Trust me. I've been, I've been, um, brainstorming and thinking about that for the last several years, <laughs> you know, and, uh, I think one of it is that marketing piece that Sarah's talking about is like, let's make sure that the visitors that we invite here and that are coming here are educated. Let's let them know about our culture. Let's let them know how we want them to treat our community. Let's let them know if they're 
they're okay with, with, you know, going through a gift shop, but maybe um, it would be beneficial for them to support local artists or, you know, the local food rather than, um, you know, the companies just bringing food in from, I don't know, several States over. So there's a lot of work to be done on all different fronts. And uh, I think, um, it's really exciting to see the work that the Alaska Travel Industry Association is doing because it is that big marketing piece that I think is super vital um, to get regenerative tourism out there. Is there some sort of, Sarah, some sort of also like master plan, not just like the, the you know, the group that's working on stuff, but they're working on some sort of master plan for sustainable, and now I brought in a new word, sustainable tourism. <laughs> a new old word. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, we have, um, I, I don't know if I'd call it a master plan, but we have marketing plans um, every year that um, target audiences um, with the, you know, limited funding that we have. And, and just to put out there, we are competing with other destinations that have millions and millions of dollars in their marketing. And um, I won't um, go off on, on talking about the, um, the benefits of investing in a statewide marketing program. But I think what you're asking, is there sort of a statewide destination or statewide maybe management plan or statewide tourism plan? And that's one of the things that actually brought us together along with the Alaska Native Heritage Center. So we started to talk about how we can think about managing tourism not, I mean, for statewide, but really emphasizing from the ground up or from the community up, not top down statewide approach. And we we started to talk about how could we invest or support a plan that brought in regenerative tourism principles so that we could not only have these better ways of managing visitor traffic, visitor flow, um, target audiences, um, messaging, um, but that we could have a competitive edge with uh, the destinations that we're competing with. So if we could build in the resources and the cultural and outdoor recreation assets into our planning uh, principles, then we'd be in a better position competing with um, the other destinations that we already compete with. Mm -hmm. So there isn't one um, <laughs> at this point, but we... Um, We've committed as colleagues and friends to just continue to have these discussions and to try to, in our work, get at that plan. And then hopefully, you know, maybe we'll have some investment and in funding where we'll be able to really have a planning process that gets at a, a plan for Alaska. What is, is there a difference between sustainable tourism and regenerative tourism or sustainable tourism part of regenerative tourism? I guess I look at it as, um, you know, as Mary said, regenerative tourism is that new trendy word where maybe sustainable tourism was one of those words um, that we used. Probably we used it too often. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's kind of become a catch all now for a lot of ecotourism, sustainable tourism. Um, so I, my point of view is that um, sustainable tourism is probably part of regenerative tourism at this point. Um, and regenerative tourism is the new the new word to use. Yeah, I, I think the important takeaway is like, you know, you talk about something that you can sustain, right? Well, regenerative is taking you a step further. It's like, how can we continue to do good? How can we keep this going on for, you know, I like to think of 
let's look 100 years into the future or more. You're not just looking at the here and now. You're looking at how what you're going to do is going to affect way into the future. So just a little bit more than sustainable, <laughs> that whole, the whole approach. So is part of that kind of this idea that when tourists come, that they should be encouraged to give back to the community in some way? I think that's part of it. You know, it doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be um, everything, but I think giving back, like what you're doing is when you're creating this authentic, amazing visitor experience where the visitor feels welcomed, they feel like they're connected to the place that they're here, they're going to want to naturally invest, whether it's to come back or to spend locally or whether it's to give to a good cause. And so I wouldn't think the only call to action would be, you know, giving back financially, but it's how, how are they contributing to the overall good rather than um, contributing to harm of a community because of their travels? You know, and the, sometimes, in you know, for you could roll, I could see rolling into that things like, um, you know, REI and various other, you know, um, Sierra Club and um, I'm forgetting a really big one, but they do like volunteer vacations where people will go and kind of immerse in a community and engage in trail or watershed restoration projects and various other things. And that's, you know, that's kind of, and that's, that's a, booming business actually. Um, so, um, you know, I think that it could incorporate those, those kinds of ideas. And that's where, again, that kind of outdoor side of this fits into the puzzle. I was thinking about that because I was thinking about all like uh, single track advocates here in Anchorage and Alaska trails and all the days they have where people come and help build trails Yeah, and things like that. that that's the million dollar tourist business right there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. is anybody well, doing can, that we can enlist them that'd be awesome <laughs> but, uh, yeah um, and they do, they do that kind of work people. like when i was in um when i was in valdez we were working on um promoting um stays out in shoot cabin for people who wanted to help us maintain the shoot trail mm -hmm. um and we'd trade off you know x number of hours and you'd get you know a voucher for a night at the cabin or something like that and you know that was mostly attracting uh, alaskans um but uh, doesn't mean it could stop. It doesn't have to stop. There. So um, we have a little bit of time left still. And I, I hate to keep going back to Hawaii, but they did have some really interesting things like um, on, in their strategic plan, um, they, uh, their destination, exactly what you said, their, their destination management plan. Um, one of the things I really liked was, well, they had the, that encouragement to give back and it's called Malama caring for the land. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but they also said, uh, which Sarah may go to, um, some funding opportunities is um, maybe people may be charged a conservation fee on arrival. That's one of the things they're <laughs> talking about. <laughs> that's oahu is lobbying for that it would be called a regenerative tourism fee to support mm. conservation and environmental management programs so you know that's not um, a new concept but it's um, awesome um, <laughs> concept i you know i was part of an organization in alaska that um wasn't um as formalized as that but it was called dollars a day back for con conservation 
And it was through community organization in Alaska that um, tourism industry businesses offered on their individual business invoice a way for their clients to contribute a dollar or two a day of their visit um, back to a conservation organization. And so it was managed voluntarily through each individual business owner, not as like a maybe government or formal program, but I think more and more um, as you're, as Mary said, you're providing these authentic and um, authentic experiences and you're sharing your stories or we're sharing our stories that people are going to look for ways that they can stay connected because that's really what travel um, experiences should be all about is that you're you're creating smaller communities you're connecting with people and whether they you know shop locally or contribute back financially in Alaska or go back home and tell someone about their trip to Alaska or talk about climate change in a different way. Uh, I think Mary said it best. They're, you know, they're contributing to the greater good. And so to me, that's two different kinds of successes. So let's kind of like, uh, does anybody have any like final, like 10 years from now, what would regenerative tourism look like in Alaska? Is it going to be a new word? Is it not going to be regenerative tourism anymore? Or um, what is that going to look like? If we're, if like the most recent climate thing that just came out in the paper today was um, very depressing. (laughs) Like if we don't change now that it was pretty much, you know, really bad. I think you're going to see, I think 10 years from now, my idea of success would be that there's headlines that we're reading in other publications talking about what a great job Alaska is doing with regenerative tourism. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) Yeah, I have to second that, Lee. I'll third it then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's uh, been fantastic having all of you. I've learned a lot and, um, and I hope we keep progressing down this path and that we see a lot more exciting new businesses that are coming out that are boots on the ground and um, people being immersed in native culture in Alaska and all of our different native cultures, because it's such a, I mean, that's limitless, you know, really in Alaska and um, that we continue to have tourists coming that are appreciative of our state and respectful of it too and respectful of the people who live here and who were the first people to live here so so thanks a lot for all of your hard work all three of you thank Thank you lisa thanks again lisa that's it for today's show thanks to my guests mary goddard lee hart and sarah leonard special thanks to lee for connecting me to mary and sarah You can find pictures and links to their organizations on the Outdoor Explorer page on alaskapublic.org. The Beartooth Theater will host films by two frequent Outdoor Explorer guests in March. Lael Wilcox will be presenting Faster Than Crude Oil on March 16th at 5.30 p.m. Lael set the fastest known time on the Trans-Alaska Pipeline route in 2021, finishing in less time than it took oil to travel from Prudhoe Bay to Valdez in the height of production in 1988. Several short films about her adventures will be screened. There will be a Q&A with Lael after the show. Admission is free, first come, first serve, with donations accepted to benefit Anchorage Grit, Girls Riding Into Tomorrow, 
a bicycle mentorship program for middle school girls that Lael co-founded with Kate Rodriguez. Max Romy will be presenting Trailbound Alaska, a night of films for the trails that bring us together on March 28th at 5.30 p.m. Max will show four films with four trails from Alaska to Australia. Carol Sepalu, the extraordinary Nome ultra runner is featured in a quest to travel on foot the three roads from Nome. Tickets are $10 and there will be a Q&A with Max following the films. The event will benefit Alaska Trails and KMTA, the Kenai Mountains Turnigan Arm National Heritage Area. Tickets for both events are available now at the Beartooth. The show is produced by Eric Bork. My name is Lisa Keller and from all of our hosts here at Outdoor Explorer, thanks for listening and we'll see you outside. Outdoor Explorer is a production of KSKA Public Radio in Anchorage, Alaska. Theme music is by Portugal, the man. Views expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect the station or its underwriters. You can find Outdoor Explorer on Facebook and in your favorite podcast app. To see what's coming up on Outdoor Explorer and add your voice to the conversation, go to our website at alaskapublic.org. Life Informed, this is Alaska Public Media.